Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. Relationships are where we've been talking the last few weeks. Uh, We've been travelling through uh, singleness and... um, that's it, there we go. And uh, dating, and now we're going to be thinking about marriage today. Now before we go too much further, um, we are going to have question and answer again after the service, uh, after, the, um, after the service, after the talk. So perhaps, Jerry, if you can put that slide there with the Slido number on there, go to the top. If you want to put in your browser Slido uh, and type that number in, you can actually put questions up and then I can get my phone later on and I'll see those questions on my phone. So if something pops up as we're talking today about marriage, uh, you can put that into Slido and then I'll uh, attempt to give a response to the question. So, And we'll bring that up again later on. You can, again, uh, you can do that after the, uh, after the talk as well. Um, just though, in a way of trying to introduce where we're going as we think about Uh, the next talk on relationships today. We're going to put a small video up, but just want you to know that the actors in this video are not paid actors, so please excuse anything that you might see in that. So perhaps if you could show that video. Uh, Jerry? A very impromptu marriage ceremony, and that's what happens when you spend 30 hours at a bus converted to a motorhome and you arrive in Cooper PD and you go to an underground church. Think, oh, let's have a marriage ceremony there in the middle of it. So, as I said, unpaid actors, but marriage, as Elliot did say, uh, a great thing that God has given to us. So, today, as we think about that, let's go into Ephesians chapter 5 and begin to unpack what the Bible's got to say here about marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 21 through to verse 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. 
And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, we thank you today that we can come and uh, open up your will. We ask and pray, Holy Spirit, please would you open up our eyes now to see this precious thing you've given to us in marriage and the way, Lord, you want to set the direction for marriage in our lives. Help us to see that this pattern, this order that you have laid down, Lord, is uh, transforming and liberating for us, good for us. Help us now, Lord, with any preconceived ideas, with any hurts or scars that we may bring into thinking about this passage. Holy Spirit, we pray, speak into our hearts, set us free. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last couple of weeks we've been thinking about relationships. We've covered being single, how to make the most of that season. Also, we looked how to navigate our way through the dating season to set a gospel framework in seeking a marriage partner. Uh, Now we want to move uh, to the point of marriage. You've been dating for a period of time and you've asked yourself, to, could I, could I clarify, could I marry this person? That's what you think about through the dating season. You've put in good, uh, place some really good boundaries of purity and you've actually included others in this dating season as well to seek their advice about whether you think this marriage could possibly work. You and your boyfriend or your girlfriend have had some longer discussions now about marriage and yes, she's agreed. You popped the question and she said yes. All things considered. Got to this point, so now we want to think about some questions here today that we can hopefully answer will help us think about marriage from a gospel perspective, a transformative perspective. What is marriage? How does the world see it? How does God see it? Why is marriage so hard? How does the gospel redeem and set us up for Christ honouring marriage that will ultimately go the distance? going to try and answer some of those questions today as we move through this talk. Uh, again, we'll talk about really, I guess, big picture principles, but with these principles, they will filter down into the various individual situations and circumstances that you might find yourself in, in marriage or maybe in marriage to come. So it's not going to, it's a big picture principle that you actually begin to apply to try and think your way through that. If you're confused by what I say today, and I'm sure some of you will be, uh, we will have time later on to ask questions, so feel free to ask a question uh, via, either via Slido or we'll, you can call from the floor. Uh, and if things are too personal, I fully get that as well, because sometimes we're dealing with really difficult stuff, raw stuff and quite emotional stuff in marriage. I'm happy to speak to others later on about that, or through the week you could contact uh, myself and Laurel as well be only too glad to catch up with you. Uh, some challenges we get in marriage are way beyond the ability of a pastor. Fully acknowledge that and very happy to acknowledge that. So we also have other resources that we can actually point people towards to get really good uh, professional biblical help to actually help rebuild marriage and see it uh, flourish and go well. So just, just hold those things in mind as we move forward today. So here's where we want to land as we think about marriage. Uh, marriage is a good gift. We saw that last week in Proverbs. Uh, who finds a wife finds a good thing. Marriage is a good gift created by God. It isn't ultimate in life. It's a relationship of mutual love and submission that reflects the relationship of Jesus and the church. Marriage is a good gift created by God. It it isn't ultimate in life. It's a relationship of mutual love and submission that reflects the relationship of Jesus and the church. Marriage, what is it? Marriage is the oldest 
and first relationship that God has created between uh, humans. Adam and Eve, the first humans created by God in his image, male and female. And what does God do? He places them in a marriage. Uh, Genesis 2.24 shows us that. Therefore a man, this is after he's brought Adam and Eve together, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Uh, This is God's definition of marriage. You may have heard of many other definitions of marriage throughout the world we live in, but this is God's definition of marriage. This is what true biblical marriage is. It's one man and one woman uh, coming together to, in covenant to form a new family unit, together as one flesh. Um, what's the aim of that marriage? Well, the big picture aim in all of life, and even a marriage is no different to anything else in life, is that marriage glorifies God. We, we started this off a couple of weeks ago with, with singleness, but we want to break that down a little bit, little bit more because that's that's like really big picture principle, marriage glorifies God, to give us a more detailed uh, view of what that means, how our marriages would glorify God. Uh, Marriage is to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church, and we'll come back to that. Uh, Marriage also is to produce godly offspring, sons and daughters. You can go to Malachi 2.15 and you can see there where God talks about uh, marriages producing godly offspring, sons and daughters. Uh, marriage also is a relationship of joy that God has given to us in complementary roles with another person in fulfilling God's command as, cu- as custodians of the earth. Uh, God places mankind to, actually, as it were, to, to rule and to subdue the earth. And that's one way that marriage can actually carry out God's command there from the very act of creation. As I said, I'll come back to that aim of uh, relationship between Jesus and the church uh, towards the end. Okay, let's think about marriage then, the way the world would view marriage in where we find ourselves in, not only here, but right around the world. Uh, Marriage is something the world recognises as as a significant relationship, particularly governments do recognise that this is the fabric of society, is strong, healthy and solid marriages. As much as they might see that as a significant relationship, at the very same time, marriage is also being cheapened and undervalued by the world is really not much more than perhaps a fun day out or even a shallow relationship sometimes that only just lasts sometimes a few months in some cases. Uh, The world often sees marriage really as no more than a piece of paper that can easily be torn up and dissolved. Um, The average marriage in Australia lasts about 12.2 years. Uh, marriage to separation goes about 8.4 and then usually another four years after that is when divorce kicks in. So 12.2 years is the average length of marriage in Australia. That's not very long, not at all, barely a decade. Uh, With no-fault divorce clause, a marriage can be dissolved with irreconcilable differences only demonstrated by 12 months of separation. You could be separated for 12 months, you can go to the courts and say, we can't reconcile our differences and you file for divorce and you get a divorce. It's really that simple, unfortunately. Hollywood actors, for any of you that might follow some of them, uh, marriage and divorce for them is actually just like swapping roles in movies at times for those people. You jump online and you can find it's not an uncommon thing for these guys 
to marry eight or nine times over the course of their career and some of them are still going, so they could get up to 10 or 11 or 12 times for some of these ones. Uh, sometimes the world sees marriage as nothing more than just an excuse for throwing a big party, a massive party, spending big on expensive clothing and accessories to go with that, and at the same time marriage can actually be for some people, more so the parents than the people involved, it can be a status thing. How big a marriage can I throw for my son and my daughter and show off who I am? Uh, Not uncommon to spend more than 100k on a marriage. It's not going to happen in my house, I can tell you that. <laughs> that's what happens sometimes, these wedding extravaganza. They just, it's a status thing, that's what they're going to do. Uh, one of the biggest causes of community breakdown in our culture is the breakdown of marriages and families. What should be the very fabric of our society, building a strong, harmonious community, that breaks down and also that fractures the rest of the community. Why is that? Because the world has devalued marriage as God has intended it for us and has created it for us. Nonetheless, marriage is a beautiful gift that God has given us and it's got a glorious aim as well as we think about that. Okay, why? Why do we have such a high divorce rate? Why do people bail out so quickly from such a wonderful and glorious relationship? Why do they start with such joy and and love, as they might call it, and then yet sometimes months later, bail out, and it's all over. Uh, Marriage is hard. It's hard, no question about that. Why is it hard? Why is it hard? Well, I can only speak for my marriage. The reason why my marriage is hard, because I'm involved in it. It's me. Don't laugh, Chelsea. (laughs) It's me. I'm a broken person who marries another broken person. That makes marriage hard. Marriage is the bringing together of two broken people and putting them into a, as it were, 24-7 shared life space. You do somewhat everything together. You actually are right involved in each other's lives, up close and personal. Each person in a marriage relationship brings something to that marriage. And what do they bring? Not only their gifts and their talents and their abilities, which are great things to bring, but they also bring their baggage and often they bring their unrealistic expectations into a marriage, hoping that the dream will come alive through marriage. I think ABC and expect marriage to work out like this Laurel thinks X, Y, Z and expects marriage to work out like that. We're thinking differently. I think I'm right. She thinks she's right. All all she has to do is see things from my perspective and it'll be okay. She thinks all he has to do is see things from her perspective and it'll be okay. What do you think will happen? when things like that start that way. Sure, there'll be times of great joy. You'll share those common times together when it's like that, and that'll be beautiful. But there'll be other times when you are bringing these different agendas and different ways of thinking and different expectations and generally unrealistic expectations of marriage. When that happens in marriage, which it will happen in marriage, you'll be frustrated. You'll feel held back. You'll feel... 
crushed at times. You'll even be angry towards your husband or your wife because you bring these different agendas. You bring your own thoughts and feelings into it and they're not always the same as your husband, as your wife. That makes marriage really hard. Two broken people trying to make this work in a shared living space through a whole range of complexities and layers. That makes marriage hard. And the biggest difficulty in our marriage, it's me. It's what I bring to the marriage. But that is real marriage. It is the heights of joy, but it's also the lows of frustration and futility as well. Okay, with that sort of groundwork there, let's think about now, how, how can this marriage relationship from God be redeemed? We bring all this stuff in, the world's already devalued it, and we're all influenced somewhat by the world we live in. How can the gospel redeem marriage now to make it a glorious and wonderful and beautiful thing as God has intended it to? Well, God sees our sin and our brokenness that he brings into it, and he sees how we've corrupted and abused marriage from our own selfish means, yet God in his loving grace does bring healing and redemption to our marriages. It's glorious the way he does that. First thing, got to recognise the sinfulness that we bring into marriage. Got to recognise that we are sinful people, broken people that need Christ's forgiveness and to be healed ourselves so we can bring that healing into our marriage. What does that mean? It means coming to Christ and acknowledging who we are, receiving his forgiveness that he gives to us through the cross and receiving a new heart that he gives to us as well to now enter back into marriage with a transformed life and a transformed heart. So it's acknowledging who Christ is. It's acknowledging our sinfulness and it's now coming before him in faith and repentance. Faith, trusting in who Jesus is and what he's done for me in forgiving my sins and repentance, turning away from sinful choices and sinful desires and now turning to the Lord of my life and to live the way he's called me to live. Faith and repentance. So how does this new life look then in Christ, in the context of marriage, as we think about applying faith and repentance to that. Well, Ephesians is one of these really great go-to passages here where Paul lays out for us how a marriage looks when it's framed by the gospel, when it's transformed by the gospel with people with new hearts and a new mindset to go into marriage now and to make it work for the glory of God. Two big themes come out of this passage as we think about what we read before and what we're about to go and do. And the big themes are this, submission and love. Submission and love. Mutual submission towards each other and mutual love towards each other as husband and wife in a marriage that is framed by the gospel. And this love and submission is based upon the submission and love that Jesus perfectly has shown for us. That's what Paul's about to show us as we step through this passage here to see our marriages rebuilt. Corinne, I read for us so well before, verses 1 through to 21, but I just want to come back to verse 15 as Paul's beginning to frame where we're going to go in um, this passage. Verse 15, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Paul's saying, walk now, live now with the truth of the gospel shaping how you do life. Not as unwise, but as wise, with the wisdom of the gospel. Verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, Paul says, 
But understand what the will of the Lord is. So Paul's setting us up, and he's going to bring us now to this marriage passage, uh, verses 21 to 33. Now, you might have read often, you might even have a subheading in your Bible where it's, the subheading is above verse 22. You need to read verse 21 included in verses 22 to 33 to understand the foundation of where, this, where Paul's going under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 21 there, submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. This is the base foundation to read verses 22 to 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Hold that thought in your mind as we begin to now think through these verses here. This is submission to Christ and submission to one another. Verse 22 24, we're going to see Paul start here addressing the wives in a gospel-shaped marriage. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Don't check out wives. Sometimes you're going to sit there and say, I can't do that. Just hear what the Holy Spirit's saying through Paul. Wife, come under the authority of your husband as you would come under the authority of the Lord. Now, that is not what you're going to hear out in the world. This is Christian marriage. This is transformed marriage. This is gospel marriage. Your husband isn't the Lord. Paul's not saying that, so don't hear Paul saying that. But you are to submit to your husband as you would the Lord. What does Paul say that? Well, he's going to show us in the next verse. He says, for, that word for is really important because it's connecting verse 23 to verse 22. Why do I submit to my husband? For, for, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Paul now shows you why this is the case, inspired by God's spirit. And let's think about this for a moment in, in creation. Male and female are created equal. Equal before the Lord, made in the image of God. Equal in worth, value, dignity and respect. As male and female stand before the Lord, God sees us as totally equal. Male is not ahead of female and female is not ahead of male. In the image of God, totally, completely stand on level ground. Equal footing, equal value. But, but, God has made males and females Different. Equal, but different. Physically, we're different. Now, I think we went through this a few weeks ago, just highlighted the physical differences between male and female. Men are stronger and bigger. Men are designed for providing and protecting by God. That's, how, that's the way God has created man. Women are created by God for the role of nurturing and uh, carrying a baby and feeding a baby. There's some standout differences straight away. Just the way God has made us, and we just need to recognise that. And that's a great thing to recognise. It's not a bad thing. It's a great thing to recognise. But not only has God made us different physically, God's also made us different in the roles that we take as well. The God-given roles, God-directed roles. What has God done? God has designated or designed his good design that the male is the head of the marriage relationship. That's the way God's ordered it. 
The man is the responsible head and leader of the relationship ordained by God. That is God's order, God's direction, God's created design. You may not like that as a wife, but if you want to flourish as a wife, it's best to recognise what God has created and then submit ourselves to it, as we saw that base verse, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ, submitting to God's order. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so Paul's still talking about this submission principle here, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, you probably got questions about the word everything. Happy to take some of those questions later on. But let me say this about submission, ladies. You are not voiceless. Okay, you don't come to the table and you don't have a voice in this submission. Husband and wife sit down and they talk through every situation and circumstance they come across. And there'll be lots of situations and circumstances you come across. And you talk lots, and you talk lots, and you talk lots, and you talk lots. There's lots of discussion through that. We'll be listening carefully to what each other is saying, not discounting it, working through it, appreciating what the other person's thinking, taking that into consideration as you process all those thoughts, as you think about this thing that's happening. But then in a Christian marriage and in the Lord, the final decision rests with the husband. Why? Because he's been designated to be the head of that relationship. He's been the one designated to bear the responsibility for that call. What does that mean? Well, it may mean this sometimes. It may mean sometimes the wife is not 100% on board with the decision that the husband's made. Talk, 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 and you've got to a point and, okay, you've got to make the call, he makes the call. That's probably not the call I would have made. Uh, At that point, the wife needs to just submit to the husband's call or lead at that time. But that should have been after lots of discussion to try and clearly hear what each other's thinking and processing through that. The wife then needs to go with that decision that the husband has made. So that's submission there in that sense of the wife to the husband. Let's think about this for a moment. Now, the Lord makes that submission acceptable, I think, when we see how the husband is meant to carry out his role within this relationship. Now, something I found really interesting as I was reading this this week, uh, notice something here. Paul uses three verses to talk about the wife's role. How many verses does Paul use to talk about the man's role? Six. So it's double the instruction for the man here to actually fulfil his role. I think there's something in that. Verse 25. Husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I think it's probably the cry of every woman that I've ever heard or read of. I just wished he loved me. I wished he showed me this love. It's the cry of the female human heart, I think. Paul's echoing this here. Husbands, sacrificially love your wife. Appreciate and understand your wife. Love your wife when she doesn't push your happy buttons. Love her as Jesus loves the church. As we see there, what did Jesus do? He lays down his life for the church. He he shows sacrificial love. And if you think about that, he does that while the church in many respects is very unlovely. 
Christ still lays down his life for the church. What's that telling us? Well, loving her isn't an option of sort of three choices. Loving her is the command. Not depending on how I feel when I wake up in the morning. Husbands, love your wife sacrificially. What does that mean? It means being willing to lay down your agenda and plans to love your wife. It means being willing to sacrifice your time and energy to show love for your wife. It means understanding what she's been up to this week. She's had a huge week with either small kids and she's exhausted. Mate, I had something else planned on Saturday. Take it in consideration. Actually, take your plans off the agenda. Love your wife, cut her some slack and let her go do something to just recharge after a big week. She could be combining small kids in a working space and the same thing. Understand what she's been through and sacrificially love her to cut her some space to rejuvenate. And be refreshed and strengthened. Let me throw this question here. Why why do we love our wife like this? As we sort of try and think about why we are loving our wife like this. Do we do it so that she'll love me in return? Is that one reason? Could be. Do we love our wife like this, hoping I might get good sex tonight? I think a lot of men might think like that. Or do I love a wife because I'll get that motorbike I've always wanted? If I just do enough good things, she might say yes when I talk about that motorbike. Is there a bit of an ulterior motive sometimes when we're thinking about loving like that? I'll tell you why we love our wife like that, because the Bible gives us an instruction for that. We love our wife like that, sacrificially, so that she will grow into the likeness of Christ. Have a look at these next verses here, 26 to 27. Uh, Jesus, uh, Paul's followed on. Uh, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for in verse 25, then he says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. There's a sense here where Paul's telling us we are loving our wives like this because we are wanting them to grow into the likeness of Christ. We're wanting them to grow into the character of who Jesus is. And can I say this is the most precious thing that, husband, you could see in your wife is the character or the likeness of Jesus shining through her as your wife. It's your wife growing more and more in the beauty and the splendour of the character of Jesus. What is that? That is a priceless gift. That is a priceless gift from the Lord, and that will be a wife who's a pleasure to love because she's growing in the likeness of Jesus. She's producing the fruit of the Spirit. That will be a wife who's a pleasure to love. Paul doesn't stop there. He keeps going on here uh, with husbands as well. Verse 28 and 29, he says this, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Paul says, love your wife as you love your own body. Generally, we want to nourish and care for our body to make it healthy and energetic and strong. Good thing. 
So when you love your wife like this in the sense of you love yourself to be um, healthy and energetic and nourished and all those sorts of things, when, when you love your wife with that sort of principle and mindset, I'm loving her in that way because I want to see her healthy and strong and nourished in Christ, you're actually doing a good thing for yourself at the same time. It's not a selfish motive. It's just a way of God's blessing coming to you through marriage as you love your wife in that particular way. Just as you would love yourself to be cared for well and as you love your wife in the same way, then it somewhat rebounds back to you in that blessing of a healthy relationship, a nourished relationship. And as Jesus does, he loves the church, his body, that's his body. Jesus provides for it, he nourishes that, his body, that the church, why? So that there's a healthy, loving relationship there with her. That's why Jesus calls us together today to, to have his word working through our heart, to have his spirit working in that word so that we grow in a loving relationship with our Lord and Saviour. That's how he nourishes the church. Let's just draw a line there for a moment and just think, wife, listen, imagine if your husband was striving to love you like this. Imagine if that was the loving relationship that you're experiencing in your marriage. Surely that would provide an atmosphere to safely submit to that headship. I've got a husband who's sacrificially laying down his life for me. I can safely submit to that. He loves me. He's got my best interest at heart. Husband, imagine a wife who supports and respects your godly authority. They fully come on board and they submit to you. They know that you're the head of the, uh, the household. They know this is what God's order is. Surely that would be a beautiful atmosphere to come and gladly and sacrificially love your wife. That's what the gospel does. Transforms that. Produces that. Paul goes on though in verse 31, begins to sort of really show us here what marriage is demonstrating. And I think this is uh, seriously great for us. Verse 31, 32, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Have we seen that earlier today? That's Paul quoting Genesis 2.24. He's come back to say this is God's definition of marriage. This is God's order of marriage. Then goes on to verse 32 and says this, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying, he's talking about marriage, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he repeats here God's foundation for marriage and then he makes this amazing statement of verse 32. This mystery is profound. This mystery is deep. This mystery is reflective. There's something that God is doing here through marriage to show us something. And what is it? Our marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Christ loving the church and the church submitting to Christ. And our marriages are meant to show this profound mystery that we are a part of if we are followers of Jesus. Christian marriage is a window. It's a window to view into the relationship of Jesus with the church. Gospel-shaped, spirit-empowered marriage, guided by God's word, uh, demonstrates Jesus leading the church and loving the church and the church submitting to Christ's leadership. This is what marriage is um, designed to reflect, this beautiful relationship between Christ and the church. Paul says it's a profound mystery, but if we began to frame our marriages thinking like that, that would transform our marriage. 
Our marriage is a demonstration of Christ and the church. Husbands sacrificially loving their wives and leading her to grow into holiness and the likeness of Christ. Wives gladly submitting to their husband's God-given authority. Beautiful. Beautiful. Wonderfully beautiful. Transforming to see that take place. Now, I guess the antithesis of that is this. Husbands who bully and dominate their wives, they're not in step with the gospel. If you are bullying and dominating, that is not gospel living. And likewise, husbands who shrink back from leading, who just step back and just let the woman, let the wife take all the responsibility, that's not living in step with the gospel. You're abdicating your position that God's given to you. That's not living in step with the gospel. Uh, Ladies as well, wives who push back and resist their husband's leading. You can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you can see that's part of the curse, that the woman actually doesn't like the idea of the husband being the head. But wives who push back and resist their husband's leading, that's not in step with the gospel. That's not living submitted to Christ as our Lord. And at the same time, wives who shrink back and have no voice at all, that's not in step with the gospel either. Went to be a, a... a group together to actually talk things through, not just let the one person do it all. But Jesus redeems this. He redeems marriage. He takes broken people with all the baggage of life that they bring into it and he makes a marriage that is strong, loving, sensitive, kind, patient and joyful to know his transformation in our lives. And we, and we receive that as we submit ourselves to him. Jesus uses marriage to sanctify us. Uh, bringing both the best and the worst out of us. Uh, it's in the marriage relationship that we're given the opportunity here to put to death the sinful desires of our flesh. Uh, why do I say that? Because it's often this. It's often in our closest relationships that we'll actually unleash our sinfulness on, onto others. Why? Because they're not going to leave me. They're stuck here. So we just drop our guard a bit and let it go. It's a place of sanctification. It's a place for God to shape us in holiness in that way. But when Jesus is at the centre of our marriage, it's a place of love and joy and growth and wholeness. It's a place of flourishing as God desires us to. And marriage becomes this beautiful place to demonstrate the gospel of submission and love to our families and our communities. And let me say this, it's probably one of the biggest influences you can have on the lives of, if you have kids in a marriage, God willing, uh, a really strong, healthy marriage that's shaped by the gospel becomes a very powerful influence upon your kids when they actually see the way mum and dad deal with marriage. They can see the power of Christ working through that marriage and it becomes powerful for them, influencing them to be followers of Jesus as well. Marriage also brings, builds strong Christian communities. Strong Christian communities where marriages are shaped by Christ. It witnesses to those people around us uh, the power of the gospel when marriages are in a strong place. And it doesn't happen because we have perfect marriages, not in the slightest. It actually happens when they see us work through the hard things, just like they have to work through hard things where they might just give up and walk out. We work through the hard things, but we go the distance. That becomes a very um, uh, glorious demonstration of the power of the gospel in our community as well. Now, 
as I think about these things today and, and put out some of this principle, I know that there's a whole lot of nuance you need to move around this for individual situations and individual circumstances. I know there's people before me today that perhaps have had one or two marriages even more before me now, and you perhaps have a whole lot of scars, a whole lot of guilt maybe, a whole lot of shame, a whole lot of hurt. And maybe now some of that's just beginning to just rise up in your heart and your mind again. But this is the beauty of Christ. He comes to redeem. He comes to restore. And he gives us a community where we can safely do that within. Christ comes to give us hope in our marriage that, would, that it would reflect uh, the wonder and the beauty of himself. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we can uh, open up this passage here in Ephesians. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the wonderful and glorious principles that you give to us in marriage. Lord, today uh, I fully understand that, Lord, marriage is extremely hard. Uh, Lord, there's people before me that have experienced a mountain of hurt in marriage. Maybe they're saying even right now, Lord, I just can't submit The last time we did that, Lord, perhaps they were physically abused. So, Lord, I pray, please, uh, as we process some of those thoughts, some of those feelings in our our minds right now, I pray that, Lord, you would just send your spirit to help us again to trust in Christ. That he's the one who brings healing and restoration. He's the one who truly loves us like we've been desiring. Help us today, Lord, to see that you've placed us in a community that will love and care for us and help us to navigate those difficult journeys, Lord. God, we thank you for the precious gift of marriage you've given and pray, please, would you help us to build strong marriages, marriages that are shaped by submission and love. Submission to you, love for you, submission to each other and love for each other, I pray. Help us through those hard times, Lord. Help us not to give up. Help us to see that there is hope and that, Lord, you can make beauty out of ashes. Father, today we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things I'll let you know. We'll, we'll take some questions in a moment. Uh, first thing, we are going to run a marriage course next year, so Jerry can put that one up. Uh, building a safe and strong marriage. It's a six-week marriage course which will run here in this building. Uh, we'll run that for Term 1 2024, so that'll be a more detailed approach to marriage. That's open for people who are married who, or who want to be married. So that's open for all. Uh, two resources I'll let you know about, which I think are really great in building strong foundations in marriage. The book uh, by Tim Keller, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. Again, Kurong Christmas catalogue is probably not far away. If you want a great book on marriage, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller is fantastic. Uh, another book, um, This Momentary Marriage by John Piper. I'd encourage that book as well. Building really good, deep, strong foundations um, uh, for marriage. Okay, now happy to can you pass my phone. Take some questions. So if you want to put that um, event number up, Jerry, I'll, if we've got questions, that's great. If you've got no questions, I fully get that as well, and we can we can close with a song.
Okay, we've got three questions here. Let me... Um, uh, and you can make these questions anonymous too. If you put them on Slido, we don't have to see anybody's names. Uh, first question is, Ephesians 5 pre- presents an ideal, but it seems very difficult to just do that. Imitating God in purity is not something that just happens. Advice for pursuing Ephesians 5, please. Yep, so what's God given to us to, to um, live out Ephesians 5, what would, so live out these commands? Uh, here's what God's given us. He's given us today. What's that mean? We come together as God's community and we actually talk about it. So it's in our mind and it's, it's something that God has ordained that through the preaching of his word, the spirit does something. Yeah, that's just the act of preaching. Um, for me, that's, uh, that's a high-level responsibility. So, so when I get up here, it's not Todd's thoughts. It's what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say. So, again, um, helps. Yep, we gather together as a community and we open up God's word, which doesn't stop you from opening up God's word as well at home. So, uh, helps to live out uh, Ephesians 5, gathering together as community, opening up God's word. So, reading that, because we're all influenced by what we read, but we also got to understand that this is a living, breathing document, the Bible. So, the Spirit works through that word to, as it were, convict us of those truths and then give us the power to live those truths out. Uh, Third thing, we pray. Lord, help me to be that husband. Help me to be that wife. Here's something I pray for my wife every day, for both of us. Lord, help me to love Laurel today. Lord, help me to grow Laurel in Christ. Not that I'm the Lord, but help me to love her in such a way that I will help her to grow in Christ. So I pray that every day for my wife. Help me to love Laurel and help me to grow Laurel in Christ. Help me to love her sacrificially. So prayer, God's word, community actually will help us to live out Ephesians 5. How do you submit to your husband when there is abuse involved or negligence? Um, Complex question. If there's physical abuse involved, uh, the church here, the elders here, would, um, uh, if you're getting physical abuse, we would counsel you to, to remove yourself from that relationship for your safety. So if you are getting physically abused or assaulted in that marriage, we'd say, you know, to, to be in a safe place. Uh, and somehow, if there's any connection we could have with the husband who's uh, abusing in that way, that we could um, come alongside him. How do you submit in that sense? Well, it's not going to be exactly the same because you're not really going to be in that up-close and personal marriage relationship if it's like that because because physical abuse is involved, you are going to have to separate that time. You'll need lots of help and counsel to try and step that through. So first thing I'd say, if there's physical abuse, we would counsel you to find a safe place to get out of that um, physical harm. Happy to follow up with that person. Um, If you wanted to contact us through the week, we could have some more discussion. If a marriage ends due to abuse, are either or both parties free to to remarry at some stage in the future? Let me put that question on notice because we are going to come back and we're going to give a talk on uh, marriage, divorce and remarriage. So we're going to give a specific morning on that as well. So let me just take that question and I'll come back to that uh, when we do that talk.
Do you believe that submission means to submit sexually or in any way where there is abuse of any type, including mental and psychological? No. No. Um, sexually is somewhat different. Um, probably you'd need to go back to 1 Corinthians 7 to think about what Paul talks about there in submitting to her husband or wife uh, in the sexual relationship. Um, if there's any sexual activity that is uncomfortable or if there's any sexual activity that you just feel is not right, um, you need to express that to your husband and just say, I don't want to be involved in that type of activity. But of the sense of what we might call normal sexual relations, there's a sense where we are to give our conjugal rights, it says in 1 Corinthians 7, um, to our husband or our wife. But again, that should be couched in uh, love and submission. Now, if it's not couched in love and submission, um, then we need some help there. But anything that's um, mental or psychological, there's no submission to that at all. That's when you need to actually get outside help to come in and investigate that. A um, couple more. Some Christians, uh, some Christians are egalitarians. Explain how this can work with the sermon given today. Uh, egalitarian um, is a view that says that uh, male and female are equal value before the Lord, but basically also that male and female have equal roles in every way across the board before the Lord as well. Uh, we are a complementarian church where we say that uh, male and female are equal in worth and value and dignity and respect, but we're different, as I sort of went through that earlier on there, in that sense. Um, I'm not sure how submission is going to work in an egalitarian perspective because they may not recognise the husband as the head of the relationship, so maybe they toss a coin, I'm not sure, at the end of it. Um, but in a complementarian role, we, we, we say, no, no, God's given us roles, roles of high-level high responsibility that we are called to live out. Um, how do you submit to a husband who is not a believer? That's, uh, that's a tough question and a really tough place to be in as well um, to do that. Look, I think you've got to show Christian character as much as you possibly can to an unbelieving husband. Uh, love them as much as you possibly can. You're not going to love everything they get involved in or love everything they do obviously because they'll be involved in all types of you know, sinful activity. You're not going to love that. But you can show love probably in lots of other practical ways. Um, it talks about in Second uh, Peter or First Peter about the character of the wife, as it were, winning over an unbelieving husband. So it's, it's actually the fruit of the spirit of a transformed life would be something that God would use to... Um, uh, win your unbelieving husband over to the Lord. Submitting, though, would mean submitting in all things unless the husband's calling you to do something sinful. So something that's contrary to who God is, um, then that's where you've got to draw a line and say, I'm not going to submit at that point. Do you want to come up and answer a question? Go to the mic there if you want. Okay, here's the question. Um, how does the Christian community assist those in troubled marriages? Is it helpful to just share troubles 
with the pastor. That was going to be a cheek one. That's not a cheek one. There's a bit of pressure here. I sacrificially gave you this question. I'll read it out again for you. Yep, go again. If it's too hard, I'm happy to take the mic back. Uh, while he's just saying that, um, I just want to clarify for those that may be visitors that that was our two daughters fooling around in a church getting married. So we don't believe in same-sex marriage. Or what's the other word when siblings marry each other? Not polygamy. So just clarifying, if you're new here this morning, we don't believe any of that stuff. Okay. How does does the Christian community assist those in troubled marriages? We've got to love each other. And just like Todd and I haven't arrived, neither have you. So we need each other to support each other. The reality is, and we will go through different seasons. And uh, Todd always talks about the seven year, every seven years a husband and wife changes. So you need to learn to fall in love with each other. So it's always something that we've got to keep doing. And um, absolutely we need each other. I just think of the times when we've struggled and you talk to somebody and they just give you words of wisdom that you probably wouldn't have thought of yourself. Now, none of us are are counsellors, are we, like in that sense, but but we're doing life together and we love Jesus together and we need each other. And there's got to be absolute humility in that. Todd and I do not have the perfect marriage and there's got to be an understanding that each of us are in that place and we need one another to encourage one another in that. So pray together, share together, walk and do life together. so important. Which is probably answering the second part of the question. Is it helpful to just share the troubles with the pastor alone? No, not just him. Because the reality is, um, in a female sense, you're probably better to talk to another female. Um, but particularly, if it, you know, depending on what it is, you need um, a female's perspective on how to deal with that. That doesn't mean Todd can't have some insight, but I think it's good to um, females to get together with other females And you know what? It doesn't always have to be an 80-year-old lady. Um, My mum has lots of wisdom, but there's some things that I wouldn't talk to her about, not because I don't love or appreciate her, but it's because she's older, and in this certain discussion that we're going to have, she she wouldn't probably quite understand. I know she's nearly 90, so let's give her some more grace, but... Yeah. So can you see what I'm saying? You know, some people say, it's good to be an older woman. it's It's about maturity. You need to talk to someone of a woman that's got maturity. Probably what I would add to that simply is don't sit on something that's really a trouble for a long time and then bring it up to somebody or the eldership, um, like when it's all about to fall apart. If you just let us know early on, we might be able to actually save a whole lot of hurt progressing on. Now, sometimes people think, yeah, I reckon we can work it out, I reckon we can work it out, I reckon... And then three months later, no. You actually just help people in, let people in earlier on, and that can be helpful. Is it fair to say, too, I think... Men um, struggle a little bit more with acknowledging that when they need help. Um, I know we had an issue when we were married at the start and Todd sort of thought it was quite trivial, but I was deadly serious. I thought it was an issue. And then I got to a point point. I said, we actually need to go and see the pastor and his wife. And funny enough, he said, we ha- the same issues we were dealing with, they were dealing with in their marriage when they first got married. So, wow, what a breath of fresh air. I'm so glad that we didn't let it go on for 30 years before we addressed it. Brilliant. Thanks, Loz. Um, 
Last question I've got here, and then happy to take any from the floor. Uh, how do you forgive adultery in a marriage? Yeah, mate, that's, um, that's huge. Um, I can't begin to imagine the hurt and the betrayal and um, you know, just the pain that would bring into a marriage. You know, the, one the, thought you, the one that you thought you could trust for life has actually just broken that trust. Yeah, massive amounts of pain there. How do you forgive? Well, I think the first place is to actually look to the cross and look at the forgiveness that I've received. Yeah, Jesus, you actually went to the cross when I was your enemy and you laid down your life and you died in my place. You have wiped my slate clean. Look at the forgiveness that Christ has given me. Let that transform our heart and our mind and then to begin to forgive the one who's betrayed us in the, in the sin of adultery. Now, trust will be a key thing. Don't think trust will just come back overnight. If it's such a betrayal like that, you will need to take lots of time and probably very slowly and patiently rebuild that trust. And you may never get that trust back up to the level where it was, but you should get it beyond where it was in the, in the place of most pain. So I would say, how do I do that? You've got to look at what Christ has done for me in forgiving me and then try and translate that forgiveness back on to my husband or wife who's done that. I've got no other questions here, but I'm happy to take any from the floor. If not, Tom, you can come and lead us in a song, mate. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well.